0: Good evening. Good evening. How you doing? Very good. I'll bet you they're a little more excited over at Kaboom. So let's try that one more time. Good evening. All right. Well, it's good to be back. I've been um, traveling quite a bit this summer. Um, Had an opportunity to head over to Haruma. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Chris Hayden. I'm the pastor of Missions and Outreach here at Cornerstone. And we were just excited about what happened over at Haruma. Four different teams headed over um, to Kenya um, to work alongside Mama um, Zipporah and work alongside the orphans. We had um, sewing teams over there. We had teaching teams. We had, had students over there running VBSs and students over there running summer camps. And it was just a powerful, powerful eight weeks over in Haruma. And then I had a, a unique opportunity as our, our team is heading back, I, I sort of took a detour um, in London and, and, and headed up to Scotland. And one of my youth groupers um, from way back in the day here at Cornerstone is now a missionary um, um, to the Scottish youth. And he invited me to come up there and work with the Commonwealth Games. And the Commonwealth Games is basically um, the Olympic Games just for the British Commonwealth. Okay, so they, they basically get gold medals because we're not there. Um, but um, it's basically all 71 countries in the Commonwealth. And the cool thing is um, Jamaica, Kenya, India, they're all there. And those are all the places that we go. And so it was an exciting time to see God moving up in Scotland. And um, it's amazing that wherever we go, um, we see the same story, whether it's in India or Kenya or in a couple of weeks, we're going to be heading down to Jamaica and then, of course, Scotland. Um, different people, different cultures, but the same basic need, and that need is Jesus. And I was was shocked, and I I knew the stats and I knew the reports about what has happened in Europe over the last um, 60 or so years, but when I got there, the absolute absence of Jesus was astonishing. Um, Atheism has taken its toll there. As we were sending our missionaries to the 1040 window, Atheists were sending their missionaries into the universities around the world, and it's had quite a bit of an impact. And so today, as we head into this next chapter of Acts 2, not only is this the next chapter, chapter, chapter 2, but this is a major turning point in the history of the world. Okay, we celebrate Easter, we celebrate Christmas, and yes, those were the two, two biggest impactful moments in the history, but this is right there. And this is the moment where the the church begins. This is the moment where the promised Holy Spirit comes down and invades the earth and takes over an empire. And so tonight, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to walk through what happens when God's presence invades someone's life invades a family, invades a community, and invades a church. And what happens when, when a group of people are sold out completely and thoroughly for Jesus Christ? If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. And of course, Acts is the, the back half of Luke. They're both written by Luke, and it's basically one book. Acts is the second half of this book. And, and Acts chapter 2, um, we, we find that Jesus is already um, um, headed up to heaven. He, he's given his um, commands to uh, the disciples. We've picked the 12 disciples you talked about last week, and now they're just waiting. And one of the hardest things to do to people who are on fire is just to tell them to wait. How many have had, had kids, and, and, and something big was about to happen, and, and they're just frothing, and you just look at them and say... Just wait. How well did that go for you? A couple nights ago, um, my son, he, he's, about to turn, um, he's about to turn 14, and, and his birthday is coming up in a couple weeks. But for his birthday, I, we decided to do something huge for him, something really cool. And we, we just got all these different opportunities hitting at once, free tickets and all that. And so as some of you know, I'm a big Ohio State football fan, and, um, and therefore my children are. Um, and so he's excited and he, he's in football. I help coach his football team um, throughout the week. And we figured we'd tell him ahead of time because he would eventually find out. Um, but in a couple of weeks, we're gonna do the ultimate football weekend, just a father and son. And on a Thursday night, me and him are gonna head back to Ohio, the Holy Lands, and we're gonna be heading out there. We're gonna go to the Hall of Fame. We're gonna go um, to an Ohio State football game and then he's a huge Bengal fan. I'm not, but he is. Um, and we're gonna go to the F- Bengals football game on Sunday. So just like boom, 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 pure adrenaline. And so we told him about that a couple days ago. And after he, he he got back up off the ground, th- from that point on, he's just been like just waiting. It's still like ten days away, but he's just shaking and he's telling everybody and. That is the image of what's happening here. We go from um, the complete polar opposites. We go from a group of people who are devastated, who are afraid for their lives, their teacher, their master, who they thought was going to come and and redeem the world, who they thought was going to come and and turn over Rome and, and, and put the kingdom in place. He's gone And you go from that emotion to the resurrection and to Jesus ascending into heaven and him giving them their commission to go to to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all over the world. And here they are like, like, just wait, just wait. And so that's where we pick up the story in chapter 2, verse 1. So let's go ahead and read through the first couple verses here. It says, When the day of Pentecost came... All right, how many have read through through that at least 10 times? How many of, if you worked with an hour, you probably could memorize those four verses because you've heard them so many times. All right, here's what we have to do in Bible study. Here's what we have to do. And when we're studying the Bible and we're studying especially the history parts of it, is we have to sort of stop and go, all right, I've heard this story before, but let me take myself out of this moment and put my feet into the sandals of these people. And any time you read through the Bible, you've got to put yourself in their position. Answer the questions, who is it that this is being written to? Who are the people that are waiting? What are their emotions? What have they gone through in the last 50 days? What has been happening? And then when we get here, when the day of Pentecost came, now Pentecost it basically means 50, okay? It, it, it's one of the, the, the three festivals that were started way back um, with Moses, okay? So for those of you who are Journey 180, Moses is 1,500 B.C. So this is 1,500 years ago. For the last 1,500 years, Israel has been celebrating a multitude of feasts, and one of them is the Feast of... Of Pentecost. And basically, Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. And we all know what happened at the Passover in the gospel story. So now, 50 days removed, we've got a bunch of people excited, frothing, waiting in this room. And then this happens. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Anytime you hear in the Bible a description like a violent wind or a, bl- that, 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 that's telling you the presence of God is coming down upon people. And so again, put yourself in their sandals, maybe even close your eyes right now, but put yourself in this room We don't know what room this is. We don't know if this is the very same upper room. We don't know where this is, but put yourself in this room. And then all of a sudden, this huge wind sounds. And then check this out. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Let's go ahead and stop there, because as Christians, we just keep reading. But non-Christians go, whoa, whoa, stop. And children go, stop. They saw what seemed to be tongues. You guys all follow that, right? Tongues. Of fire that separated, ew, and came to rest on each of them. What does that look like? Have you ever just sat there in your sandals and went... What does that look like? What does it look like for a tongue separating and and, and just being here above your head on fire? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So let's catch this moment. The early church, this group that Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise... They're sitting there, and all of a sudden, this wind picks up, this loud sound, and all of a sudden, people, we don't know what this looks like, but people are seeing what they think are tongues splitting apart, however that looks, on fire, and they're coming to rest on people. And all of a sudden, people are filled with what? The Holy Spirit, this promise that Jesus said. And then what do they begin to do? speak in tongues. Now let me clarify something here. The word tongues here is translated languages. This is not incoherent babble. This is, this is languages. These are, these are different languages, and that'll pick up in the story real quick. And by the way, we have mics going around, um, so if you have a question, just pop up your hand, and we'll, we'll get those mics to you. So, so here's the story. They're all right there. Tongues of fire come landing on people. The Holy Spirit drops in. God's presence and now they're starting to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5, now they, were, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Okay, so anytime there was a festival, especially Pentecost, because during Pentecost there was no school, there was no learning, you weren't allowed to work, everybody was basically having a festival And so the streets were packed. There were people all over the empire from every nation. Jews came in um, to be part of this festival. It was commanded that the men do this. And so the streets were packed. When they heard this sound, so obviously it was a sound that was greater than a room. We all have neighbors who have sound that's greater than their room, right? Okay, this is one of those. Okay, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. So they understood these tongues, and they understood these tongues in whatever language they were from. Now, where were the people from? Everywhere. All over the world. Not just Judea, not just Jerusalem area, but Persia up in Asia Minor, up in what we would know as Europe, and down from Africa, all over. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, and Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phishia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one of one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. So the Scottish were there too, okay? So we have all these people. They're all having a festive time. You have have this group of of believers that have been waiting, and all of a sudden it comes down, and and it's loud, and people hear it. And when the Spirit comes upon them, what happens? They start doing what? Worshiping. Loudly praising God for all his miracles and wonders, and they're worshiping loudly and audaciously in all these different languages. People from every language group can understand them. Now, how is this possible? Were certain disciples speaking Greek and others were, spe- were speaking um, Latin, and others were speaking this language? and there were thousands of languages in the world at that time. Yes, Greek was the main language, but there were thousands of languages. Did each disciple take a language? I'll take this one I'll no. My guess is that the disciples were praising in one language the miracle is that all these different languages understood it. Some theologians believe this was a a temporary removal of the curse that happened at the Tower of Babel. Remember back in Genesis when the Tower of Babel, when God commanded everybody to split and go their own way and, and take over the earth and multiply and everybody's like, no, we want to build our own city, a sweet city right here. And so God came down and confuse the languages. And you went from 70 different people groups speaking the same language to 70 different people groups speaking different languages. And they split. And this very possibly was a moment where God lifted that and said, you all can understand again. What an amazing time. What a powerful time. Has that ever happened in church before? Have you ever felt that power have you ever felt that just overwhelming sense that you have to get on your knees and praise God, that you have to dance around, you have to scream, and you have to proclaim his name? It's hard in America. In Scotland, it's even harder. They're just like now Kenya, a whole different ballgame. Church service at Haruma is a whole nother ball game. There is dancing and celebrating and screaming and crying. It is unreal. But I have a feeling these orphans understand the wonders of God a little clearer than we do. And so then Peter, as all these, as all these people are gathering around, some of them think they're drunk, other people are just bewildered and amazed, and they're all looking at each other, what is happening here? This isn't the Jewish leadership. These aren't the Pharisees. These aren't the Sadducees. These are just ordinary people. These are Galileans. These are fishermen. What what is happening? And Peter gets up and does this. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter already is getting up, and he's quoting Scripture. The Holy Spirit is moving. When the Holy Spirit is in someone, and they start to preach, and the Spirit is moving through, watch out. And here's what happens. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on the people, your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That was the prophet Joel. Now that had to have been a glorious utterance of that prophet some 800 years before this event happened. Imagine the people that heard that message from Joel just sitting there going, oh my goodness. God's Spirit is going to be poured out on everyone? Not just a prophet. Everyone is going to have access to the Spirit. Look at verse 18. Something astronomically crazy, not only in the time of the early church, but especially in the Old Testament time of Joel even on my servants both men and who women verse 21 and everyone not just men everyone not just jews everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved Fifty days after Easter, it happened. Fifty days after it happened. What the Old Testament prophets would have killed for, because they had the Spirit come in and out, but to have the Spirit come in and indwell, as, as it says in Ephesians, the Spirit will be indwelt as a deposit of our inheritance. To have the Spirit come in and never leave To have the power that created the universe. To have the power that that allowed men to walk on water. That raised people from the dead. That power, God himself, his presence, to be inside everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and will have this spirit. This is a turning point in the history of the world. Remember at this time, there's only a few followers. There's only a few followers. Most of the people in Jerusalem thought Jesus lost. Most of the the other known world didn't even know who Jesus was, and probably 90% of them couldn't tell you what Jerusalem was. This was a podunk place in the corner of the world and it's about to transform everything we know in history. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then I want you to put a mark here on verse 22 because we're about to get into something that changes people's life. And it's called the apostolic message. It's a message that the early church followed day in and day out. See, today we have all these different sermon series. Right now we're in sex drive. That would have been crazy back then. Next series, we're going to be following the actions of Paul. We're going to call it legend. It's going to be an amazing series. You want to bring your friends to that. But we have all these different series. The early church had a message. And it was powerful. I want you to listen to the message because there's six parts to this message. The first part is that Jesus is real. Jesus is real. Now, that's not hard for the people in Jerusalem. They knew Jesus was real. They got that. Not only is Jesus real, but the second part of the apostolic message is that Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified. The third part of the apostolic message is that Jesus was raised again. Jesus was raised again. The fourth part is that these were all according to Scriptures, These events were foretold. These were promises. The fifth part is that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one, the Christ. Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. Messiah, Hebrew, Christ, Greek. He is the anointed one. He is that promised Messiah that will take us from our debt and sin and be that bridge to God. And then the final part of the apostolic message is a call to repentance, is a call to repentance. And we see Peter giving this message in chapter 2. We'll see it again in chapter 3. We'll see it again and again and again. This is the message. This is what would be known eventually as the gospel. The gospel means good news. And if anybody ever asks you what the gospel is, turn with me here to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is Paul, who we'll get to later in Acts, this is Paul writing to one of his church plants in Corinth. And he wanted to let them know exactly what the message was. Because Corinth is a long way away from Jerusalem. Corinth is a long way away from this moment in history that Peter stood up under. And so Paul wanted to remind them exactly what the gospel is. And he says, now, brothers and sisters, again, sisters, crazy for that time. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for us according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. That is the gospel. That is the message. That's the message that transforms... Families, communities, countries. That's the message that the early church was to take their stand on. Is that our message today? Every time we have someone go to Kenya or to India or to Jamaica, we want to make sure they understand what the gospel is. And we want them to understand that you are going there as an ambassador, a mouthpiece of God. You are going there to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so here in Acts chapter 2, it's starting. It's starting. Right here when Peter stands up, right here when the Holy Spirit comes down onto the church is the beginning of what's known as the church age. This is the beginning. Listen to Peter and see if you can catch the six. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Jesus is real. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. Last week, we talked about God's sovereign plan. So how how did Jesus get arrested? Was it the cunning of the Roman guards or the the temple guards or the, the Sanhedrin? Or was it God's plan all along? Say it out loud. Was it God's plan? Yes. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert... Satan could give a rip if he ate food or if he worshiped him or if he threw himself off a mountain. Satan knows exactly who Jesus is. What he was trying to do was get Jesus to act independently of God's plan, and God's plan was to take him to the cross. When we sin, the basic definition of sin is acting independently of God's plan for your life. That's that's basically what sin means. This man, verse 23, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. Number two. Now let's get in their sandals again because it's easy. Christians, we like to read through this stuff. We like, you know, talking serpents, no big deal. But let's stop, okay? Let's get into the shoes. Here is Peter. Here's the others behind him. <laughs> okay? And here are the people. Picture the moment. They're now apparently outside of the house, in the streets. You've got people absolutely amazed, and they're listening to Peter and they're understanding him. But have you ever stopped and got into the sandals of those of Peter and those standing behind him? What did Peter say these people did? With them, with the help of wicked men, did what? Kill Jesus. Peter is standing in front of the same people that were yelling, crucify, crucify. Peter and the followers were risking their lives right now. Just a little over a month ago, Jesus was beaten, tortured, and led to a cross by these people. These people were spitting on him, yelling. We got to understand that the early church, when they took their stand, you know, the gospel that you take your stand on, they were bold. See, the Spirit doesn't just come in and give you the words to say. It gives you a spirit of boldness. And sometimes it's hard to stand up in front of people. But you know what? Sometimes it's even harder to stand in front of a couple people. This is easy for me. Get me in front of two people, I get a little shyer. Get me in front of a family member. It's hard to tell people about Jesus, especially if you know him. But here Peter and his followers were standing in front of the very same people that murdered Jesus. And it had to be in the back of their mind. This could be our day. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Number three, God raised him from the dead. Now, notice that Peter really didn't beat around the bush here. This was an assumption that these people already knew this. Verse 25, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body always will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you with confidence that the patriarch David was buried, or died and was buried, and his tomb is here today. And you could see them going, yeah, yeah, it is. It's over there. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. So you see what what Peter is doing brilliantly He's now going to number four of the message. He is going back into Scripture. Now these people knew their Scripture. The Jewish people knew the Old Testament. And as Peter's starting to connect dots, and this is what the early church did in the first portion when they were in Jerusalem, when they were in Judea and Samaria, they were just connecting dots. They didn't have to explain Scripture to these people. They, they knew that. They were just saying, Old Testament prophecy, Jesus. Old Testament prophecy, Jesus. Over 300 Old Testament prophecies, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Is it starting to make sense? And the people were like, oh my goodness. Now further on, as we get to Paul, and as he gets out of the sphere of Judaism, you'll see a different tactic. But here, it's the apostolic message. And then number five hits hard, right here, 31. Seeing what was to come, He spoke of the resurrection of the who? Messiah, that He was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did His body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all what? Witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Peter finally gets around to why they all look drunk. The Spirit is here. For David did not ascend to heaven. Okay, so there he's making sure they understand that King David, that's a thousand years ago. He's not your Messiah. It was one of his descendants. Jesus is the Messiah. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. And here's the bold statement. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. (gasps) Imagine that moment. Imagine... Thomas and Andrew back there. Oh, here it comes, here it comes. Boom! What was next? I can imagine like a silence. Get yourself into their sandals. What what would you be expecting? Stones? The ripping of clothes? What was next? Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Boom. The message has landed. The very people who with the help of wicked men handed this Jesus over to be crucified were now standing in front of Peter asking, what do I do? What do I do? That's the power of the message. Now, put yourself into the sandals of the listeners now. Did they have any right to be fearful at this moment? They've just realized that Jesus is who? the Messiah, which means He is who? God. They just killed who? God. Dang it. Remember when the first Pentecost was? Remember what I said? Back at the foot of Mount Sinai. Remember what happened during that first festival? The festival of the uh, the weeks, the first fruits and all that kind of stuff? And see, what happens is at the Passover, the very next day, is when they would start to plant the seeds, the first seeds. And over the next 49 days, seven weeks, so the week of weeks, seven sets of seven, seven weeks for 49 days, the harvest would come. And then on day 50, there was a festival for the harvest, because the harvest was now here. And what was happening as Moses was up on the mountain getting God's law, we see in Exodus 32, they're going crazy down there. And there's the golden calf, and we've all seen it. Charlton Heston comes down. We know what happens. And he's so mad. And finally, we're we're cutting to the chase, but He says, either you're on God's side or you're not. And who is it that comes over to God's side? The Levites. And then what happens? Yell it out. What happens? Get their swords on and then what? It's go time. And in chapter 32 in Exodus, 3,000 people Died. The law brings judgment, but the Spirit brings grace. I don't think it's a coincidence that you have two Pentecosts, the first and the last at this point. The first one, the law brought justice, and 3,000 people died that day. At this Pentecost, as many of these people were probably fearing the same outcome. In fact, Jesus told a parable about this in Matthew, the parable of the tenants. Let's actually go read that. Let's, Matthew chapter 21. Can I get the time on the screen? Matthew 21. Verse thirty three, this is Jesus. Now, not only did some of these people hear Jesus and, and yell "Crucify," but some of these people also heard Jesus speak. I'm sure there was someone in the crowd that recalled Jesus giving this parable. Verse thirty three, Matthew twenty one. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented a vineyard and some of the farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them they will respect my son he said but when the tenants saw the son they said to each other this is the heir come let's kill him and take his inheritance so they took him and threw him in or threw him out of the vineyard and killed him therefore when the owner of the vineyard comes what will he do to those tenants Now listen to the response from Israel because Jesus is given a parable basically letting them know for all of history, God has been sending these people, these prophets, and you beat them, you stoned them, and you killed some of them over and over and over again. And so Jesus asked them because Jesus was very Socratic in his method. He asked them this question. When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the tenants? Their answer, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. Double wretch. They replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become a cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it's And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people who will produce fruit. Anyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces and anyone whom it falls will be crushed. So here we've got a bunch of people. Several of them probably remember back to that first Pentecost. Oh, that was a bad outcome for people who disobeyed the law because the law does what? Brings justice. Some of them might even remember Jesus' own words. Oh man, the owner of the vineyard, his son came and they killed him. And we said, What should we do? Well, we, we they're wretches. And here are a bunch of men and women standing in front of Peter, probably trembling, because they realize, and don't kid yourself, the Jewish people took this very seriously they realized they just killed the Messiah. They just killed the Messiah. I'm sure there were tears. I'm sure there was trembling, panic. The law brings justice. But the Spirit... Brings what? Grace. Brothers, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter replied, kill them all. No. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Number six. The law brings justice, but the spirit brings grace. God so loved the world. God so loved you that he sent his son down. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've all sinned. And the wages of that that sin is death. It's a wretched death. It's separation eternally. But number six, the gift of God is Jesus. Jesus, what are we to do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And check this out. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 1,500 years earlier, 3,000 people fell at the justice of the law. The promised Messiah has now come. That man is Jesus. He was crucified. He was put into the tomb. He was raised according to scriptures. He is the promised Messiah, and if you repent, you're saved. 3,000 people didn't die that day. 3,000 people fell on their near knees praising Jesus because God so loved the world. The Spirit brings grace. That's how the church started. The world's first mega church. Boom, right out of the bat. And every time this message was preached, boom, 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 God added daily to the numbers those who are being saved. In fact, this message was so powerful and so convicting. In Acts 5, 28, the Jewish leaders were so furious because they felt the guilt of Jesus' blood upon them. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, this message was being accused of turning the world upside down. That's our message. Are we excited about it? Do we believe it? Or is this just something that happened 2,000 years ago? Where are we today with the gospel? Where are we with the power? How many of you... Truly understand that if you're sitting in here today and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you have the Spirit inside you, the power that moved 3,000 people to tears that day, the power that resurrected Jesus, the power that created the universe is in us. And then with just a mustard seed of faith, we could move mountains. You see, that's the the crazy thing about the church today. For centuries, people, followers of God, were searching, I have faith, I don't have the Spirit. I have faith, I don't have the Spirit. I've heard God, I've seen His miracles, I've walked across the Red Sea, I've been fed manna, I get it, I have faith, I know God exists. In fact, the Bible starts out with people assuming there is a God. It was so obvious. Faith was not an issue in the Old Testament. Today, it's the exact opposite. We have the Spirit, what they longed for, and yet we lack faith. For a period in time in the history of the world, faith and Spirit collided. And the church had both faith and spirit. And that's when the world gets turned upside down. I've said this before, but that's, that's peanut butter and chocolate together. That's Mentos and Diet Coke. That's fuel and fire. It's amazing. The early church had spirit and faith. And they had the message that changed the world. We... Have to bring faith. Can I get time up here? It could be nine o'clock and I have no clue. We have the spirit. The church has the spirit. And yet, so many of us, and I when I preach, I need a mirror because I'm the biggest culprit. So many of us are the frozen chosen. We've got our plane tickets to heaven, and, and as long as people come to us, we're okay. But if I have to go somewhere, Acts 1.8, that gets a little scary. You know what, God? Okay, I'll I'll go to Jerusalem. I'll step outside. I might show up at a second Saturday. Church is 6,000. Second Saturday attendance averages 80. I might go to second Saturday. It's going to be a little painful. I can do that. Oh, but what about... What about Judea? What, what about stepping outside of Jerusalem? Oh, okay. Well, that could be Mexico. I don't know. Well, where is that? Gets a little scarier. Oh, you've got to go to Samaria too. Ah! What, what's that? I don't even know what... Samaria, New Mexico. Sorry, Will. Uh, but who knows where Samaria is? All right, that's hurting. That's hurting. Now I've got to take... What now? To the ends of the world? I've got to go some. How powerful is your message that you're taking your stand on? We, we've been hit by the atrocities of what's happening in the Middle East as people are getting on their knees and being beheaded. And that and, and that's that's that, that's not even a Christian thing, but there are Christians in the world that are being beheaded. But they were willing to go and take a stand. But remember, I said some of the hardest places to take your stand is those people on your Facebook, all thousand of your closest friends, your family member. Oh, that's hard. That person in bed with you—that can be hard. Your boss, your your employee, your schoolmate, your neighbor—I just need to keep the peace. Man, I don't want to tell them about Jesus because they'll—they'll disown me, or they won't talk to me, or they'll think I'm a freak. How big's your faith? The most powerful chapter, in my opinion, outside of the Gospels. The beginning of the church age. We are the church. We are together. We are one. You'll see that later on. We're in one accord. We should have, as talked about last week, one mind, one purpose. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors the same way. The Bible is powerful because the Bible contains messages that turns the world upside down. Rome was turned upside down because of people like this, because the Holy Spirit got into people and they humbled themselves. These were ordinary people. These were ordinary people. We know how weird the disciples were. We know how jacked up they were. But do you realize after reading this story, the next generation of converts in the church were the people that killed Jesus? They were jacked up too. In fact, Jesus uses jacked up people because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all jacked up. Raise your hand if you're a little bit jacked up tonight. All right? Good. You can be used. Go into Hebrews chapter 11 and look up at all those jacked up people. Yes, they've got great names, Moses and Abraham and and all these great historic names, Noah. Oh, man, they're amazing. David, murderers, uh, prostitutes, um, rapists, drunkards, liars, adulterers. But yet at one point in their life, they got on their knees and said, God, I'm yours. Use me. The Spirit brings grace. And when the Spirit looks out upon you and it looks out on upon your friends, they see your friends for who they are, people who need Jesus. As we close tonight, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. There might be someone in here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, For if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Justification means your penalty is taken care of. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, black or white, Iraqi or American. Let me say this ISIS or American. There is no difference. We live in a country that loves to divide. There is no difference. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. If you're in here and you are thinking to yourself, God can never use me. God can never love me. You are exactly who God wants. Because like those Kenyan orphans, you're so far down that you understand the only way up is Jesus. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. You are currently separated from God. When you die physically, you get separated from your body. But when you die spiritually, you're separated from God forever. That's what hell means. But there's a cool truth that while we were still sinners, while we were still separated, Christ died for us. That is the gift of God. If you're in here and you have never asked Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what are you waiting for? Don't leave this room without talking to me, without talking to Bill or any of the staff. And if you're in here, and most likely this is you, you have asked Jesus as your Lord and Savior, stop being frozen. Get out there, baby steps, one step at a time. Don't grab a bullhorn, those don't work. Go to to coffee. Listen, don't speak walk don't talk but start praying that God will put someone in your way to present September 21st we begin the legend series and we are going to do a salvation message right off the bat what an amazing moment to bring your friends to a place where they can hear the gospel let's pray dear heavenly father we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today we thank you thank you thank you for the early church we thank you that they were bold enough to stand up in front of the very men who killed Jesus. And they proclaimed the message that is tried and true, the gospel message, the good news. Heavenly Father, we thank you for their example. We thank you for that first church. We thank you that we are not held under the law but we are now justified by the Spirit. We have grace in our lives. Heavenly Father, we we know we don't deserve it, but that's what grace means. Heavenly Father, if there's someone in here who's struggling, who thinks they're not worth anything, that thinks they don't have the value, Heavenly Father, allow them to realize that they were fearfully and wonderfully made by you that they are precious in your sight, that you love them so much that you sent Jesus to die for them in their place so they would not have to be separated. Give them the courage to stop running tonight and to turn their life over to you. And Heavenly Father, for those in here who have heard this passage over and over and over and over again, give us the ability to be bold, to put a little faith with our spirit and go out, starting with our family, with our neighbors, to the very ends of the world and tell people about the message that saves lives for eternity. Heavenly Father, I pray that in a thousand years, no one knows Cornerstone, but everybody knows Jesus because of Cornerstone. Heavenly Father, give us the courage as believers, to grab each other's hands and forge ahead in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Bless us as we go. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. If if you are in here and you you have questions, I'll be up here for as long as you um, can fire away the questions. If you're in here and you... You want to know what it means to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Come talk to me, talk to Bill, talk to any of the staff. Guys, thank you so much. It was a great time being back. See you guys next week. Bring some friends.